Did I live? Did I love? And did I matter? And it really hit me. I thought, that's a gift right there. Those are the questions I'm going to ask if I'm ever going to die. Did I really live my life? Did I love others? And did I make a difference? Did I matter? Tonight, I'll go home and I'll ask that same question. 23 years every night. People, how do you do so much? I go, when you live your life with intention and purpose, you can get a lot done. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you. Thank you so much for coming back every single week to listen, to learn, and to grow. I value your time so much that you take out time while you're walking your dog, when you're driving in your car to work, when you're commuting, or maybe even while you're cooking. Thank you. Even if you're at the gym, thank you so much for taking out this time to listen, learn, and grow. And today's guest is none other than Brendan Bouchard. Now, I know a lot of you are going to be excited for this episode. Brendan is one of the top coaches in the world, an incredible speaker, an incredible author. But most importantly, I want to share something with you. I was just telling him literally two seconds ago, when I joined social media in 2014, not as a creator, but as a user... I was always looking for people who were doing good on social media because I wanted to follow people that were empowering. And I could pretty much, on Facebook memories on this day, you know, you can type it in, I could pretty much find at least one Brendan quote per day that I used to share uh, with whoever used to follow me at that time. And I think my post at that time used to get two to four likes. Uh, so Brendan, I, I'll take credit for the two to four people. <laughs> but honestly, it was just such a, his work was so refreshing to me and the post that he was writing was so sincere and so genuine. And when I had the opportunity to meet Brendan, I think it was late last year or earlier this year when we had the opportunity to connect, I, I waited around after a keynote I was giving because I really wanted to meet him because I was just so impressed by what he had done, but more importantly, the way in which he did it. And he's just not disappointed. He's been really kind, really supportive, and someone who's really been there for me in this journey as well. So I want to, you know, open up your minds, but also open up your hearts to a very, very special human being. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Man, I love uh, it. I, I love mean it. it, every single word that I've just said. Thank you. Uh, and I wanted you to hear it from my for my mouth. And for this, I'm just going to go for the audio. Brennan Bouchard is a highly recognized as the world's leading high-performance coach. He's a magnificent writer, public speaker, and his books have been on plenty bestseller lists, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and more. He's coached and worked with everyone, ranging from CEOs of massive companies to celebrities. Brendan's personal development trainings have more than 300 million views. Over 2 million students have completed his online courses and video series. Oprah.com named him one of the most successful online Online trainers in history, and he's also had 28 seven-figure online launches. His list of accomplishments goes on and on and on, but the most important thing is he's a true man of service and living an incredible life trying to help others. Brendan, thank you. Thank you, brother. Man, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I mean it. You're, you're truly, you know, I think we always have this feeling of you, you want to meet people, and I'm sure you had them too, and you're always hoping that when you meet someone they don't let you down, yes. right? Yes. And I'm an optimistic person. So when I meet someone that I've been aspiring to meet, yeah. I'm always hoping that they're going to blow me away even more. That's my hope. And when I met you, it felt that way. So I just want to say thank you. Thank man. you. You too. Yeah. You too. It was so, so funny because we were running in so many similar circles and our friends were like, hey, you guys don't know each other? You should meet up. And, and thank you. Shout out to Lewis yes. for introducing us and making sure that connection happened. And same thing. I was hoping, I'm like, he's a monk. I hope he's like <laughs> calm. 
I hope he's centered. I hope he's got good vibrancy and his and joy in his heart and his eyes. And you did, even though you and I both were kind of road warrior a little bit that moment. We were. We were out on the road. We were. And that was late at night. And we just were chatting and just, you know, when you meet people and, and just your vibrant and enthusiastic part of you that comes out, mm-hmm. right? Because you and I already do that for life in a job. But then when you meet somebody who it draws you out more, I was energized that night. So, really? Yeah. I thought you were just always like that. I think you are always like that. You have great but, energy. But, but yeah, I'm, ha- I'm a happy, yeah. you know, I'm living my second chance at life. Yeah. So for me, you know, after a big car accident when I was younger, every day is like bonus day. Mm. So I'm already reverence for life. I'm happy-go-lucky, but there are people who have an aura and a vibrancy and everyone listening, they know that. They, there's those times, there's just some people who you're around, it kind of makes you pop and come alive and you smile a little more and you were that. And I was like, oh, that's what I wanted from meeting Jay Shetty. I wanted him to be like that. And you were, so. Thank you, man. Let's, yeah. let's actually start there. I wasn't going to start there, but now that you've mentioned it, I want to start there. I want my audience to hear that story from you yeah. because I think that everyone's either had one of those moments or they're going to have one of those moments. Yeah. And I want everyone who's listening and watching right now to either be prepared if they're about to have one, or maybe not even wait for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and for those who have had it, to really use it to the advantage. So let's start with that accident that, that changed your yeah. mindset, that changed the urgency of life for you. Yeah. Um, I'll give the takeaway because it's sure. a little bit of a long story. I know but, it is. Um, you know, the takeaway is at, at the end of our lives, if we have a moment of cognition, we're going to lay there in bed. And we're going to ask questions about our life to evaluate whether or not we were happy with it. And what I've always suggested to people is maybe don't pretend you're living your purpose unless you know the questions you're going to ask at the end of your life. How do you evaluate it? Because otherwise you're just kind of living randomly. But when you know, oh, I'm going to evaluate my life this way at the very end. Now, every day you can wake up with intention. Now every day you get to wake up with purpose, which is why I love the name of your show, because that's my thing too. It's like this, this deep connection to some type of purpose so that at the end of our life, we're happy. There's no regrets. There, there's no sadness. There's no, oh my gosh, why was I this way? Or why did I wait to do that? And I, my unique story is that I got that gift at 19 mm. years old. Um, the story is my, my girlfriend and I from high school, we were high school sweethearts. And like the super annoying kind, you know, like we were the, we became like high school sweethearts and we were the make out at the locker and, you know, stop it. You ever have that couple who stops hanging out with their friends because they get so much yeah, lovey-dovey? That was us. We just so fell in love with each other. We stopped hanging out with friends, stopped doing anything else, fell in love. Um, she wanted to go to college. I was just going to do like landscaping. I mean, I was going to do like art projects on this. I had no, I, I didn't have a real ambition to go to college yet. We went to college together, shared a U-Haul on the way over, lived in the same dorm, signed up for the same classes, had the same friends, like the whole nine yards, like literally our life was completely intertwined. And then at the end of that, or in that first semester of school, she discovered uh, beer <laughs> and other men and, uh, and cheated on me. Wow. And I don't know if you remember this way, but if when your whole identity is wrapped up in a relationship mm-hmm. and then the relationship falls apart, you fall apart. 100%. That's what happened. I fell, I fell apart. Mm. I fell mentally, emotionally, spiritually completely apart. Um, couldn't get out of bed. You know, stopped going to classes. Friends deeply concerned about me coming over, trying to motivate. Let's go out. Let's go out. And I was like, I, I can't. I just would lay there and, and like cry basically. Um, and I, 
like two things really changed my life, which I didn't realize till later. One was I was always a reader. Like I'm really happy about all the accolades I've gotten, everything else. But the, the thing that has driven my life is I love books. When I meet with people, I want to talk about books. I love books. I, I love books. And so I was still reading. So here I am depressed in bed. Um, and I remember this is like several days after I'd planned suicide. Full on, not like thinking about it, wrote the letter, made a couple calls and had planned to end my life. Laying in bed, super sad, uh, opened the school newspaper and there was an ad in the school newspaper. So I'm reading. Second thing that changed my life was marketing. Here's this ad, full page ad, uh, white sandy beach, turquoise water, blue sky, green palm tree, and across the top, like the best headline ever for a young man in pain. The headline across the top said, escape. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, Uh, you know, uh, summertime job, students needed, Dominican Republic. Wow. Now I'm in Montana. Yeah. At the time, at the University of Montana. I don't even know. I've where, been to Montana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know where Dominican Republic is, but I know <laughs> she's not there. <laughs> so I'm like, so I'm like, I've got, so take the job. Uh, we basically become glorified tour guides for an entrepreneur who works down there who we knew. And my friend Kevin and I, we hop in the car one night and we go to return where we were staying. And we're going down the shore to 85 miles an hour and Kevin is driving. And we came upon the corner that, you know, here in the US, especially in LA, would, you know, U-turn shaped yellow sign, slow down 15 miles an hour, but developing country, new road, no sign. Mm. So we go around the corner and Kevin immediately like grabs the wheel, Brandon, hold on. And he cranks it. And I just, I mean, I didn't know then was it, it, you know, what happened was emotional, spiritual, mental, you know, make believe who knows in my mind of what happened in the next couple of minutes. But when you're sliding in death's, death's doorway, you have questions about life. And it comes through as a feeling. Like, cause at first it's like that brace, that terror in a car accident, there's a piece of that. If you have a thing, you're like, you know, you don't want to die. And if you've ever been in a car accident, that weird slow motion thing happens. So that's why I said, I don't know where it was. Cause it's like the super slow motion. And I felt this brace and I really felt and sensed this, like, did I live? Did I live my life? Uh, you know, later I can think about like, you know, because of course we want to know, do we live vibrant and free and, and a lot, you know, our life. But at that point, you know, I'd lived her life. I'd lived my parents and professors' lives. And I really hadn't been living. I'd been thinking about taking my life. Um, we went to, the, the, the car slid sideways off the road and we hit this little retainer wall and it popped us up into the air and I hit the side of my head. Um, and I started seeing all these images of these times in my life when I was surrounded by people that I loved. And it was like these scenes, these just beautiful, just beautiful. It wasn't omniscient. It wasn't like a near death experience per se. It was just these beautiful scenes when I could see family members and everybody else. And cause at the end of your life, you think about who you're going to miss and who's going to miss you, which triggers this other question of, did I love? And, you know, you talk about it too. And like, we want to know that we really love fully and completely and free, not, not from terror or fear or need. I hadn't loved, my heart had been shut down. And I always say to people, it's like, you have to be careful we've been hurt because we build up these walls to protect ourselves. We put on the mask or we get, you know, serious and stiff. But when you build up that wall to give out the bad guys, you also block out the good guys. Mm -hmm. 
And in our own self-protection, we block out the very things we really desperately desire, which is connection. Um, car hit the ground, rolled several times. I got knocked out completely. When I came to Kevin is next to me in the driver's seat, screaming at the top of his, just ter- terrified. His eyes are wild like an animal and a huge chunk of his head is open. And there's just blood everywhere. And this fear is like, what's going on? But I'm like in shock. He crawls outside the driver's side window. I go to get outside mine, but I can't. The car is smashed on me. And all I have is this hole that used to be in the windshield. I push myself through and I stand up on the hood of the car. He's screaming, 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 but I'm in this thud hollow. I don't, I don't know how to describe the shock. And I looked down and I saw on my body, I'm, I'm covered in blood. And this just terror hits me. Remember at 19 and I feel life draining literally physically out of me. And, um, I just remember life feeling it's draining away. And I just remember looking at, at my feet, which was covered in blood. And I just thought, did I even matter? You know, did I, did I even make a difference? Was there a reason I was here? And, oh man, it was the worst because I didn't feel like I did. And then uh, I looked down and the blood was going off the hood of the car and there was a glint, there was a sparkle in the blood. And I didn't know what it was, it was a reflection, so it made me look up. And there was this bright, big, beautiful moon that night that I didn't even see earlier. Uh, and it was like this arresting connection. I just felt this connection and I felt like, you know, it was almost an immediate sense of grace. I was like, I'm going to be okay. Mm. I almost felt like I was told I was going to be okay. And so I call that like my life's golden ticket moment. Cause I felt like the big guy upstairs, cause I believe in God reached down and handed me like life's golden ticket. Here you go, kid. You're still alive. You can still love, you can still matter. But now, you know, the clock is ticking. You lucky young man, you're still alive. And my whole life, I was just like, in that moment, I remember literally looking up at this moon and I didn't know it was so, I didn't know what the feelings were at the time. Cause I've had a lot of time to think about this, obviously 23 years ago. And I just remember thinking, I will earn this. And I felt that next breath is like, I'm going to be okay. Kevin and I, and I don't mean to ruin the story for everybody, but I survived. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm alive. Kevin survived. Lots of cuts, bruising, broken bones, terrified kids. But for me, what I took away with it was both the reverence for life, the appreciation for life, the timing of life, that the clock is ticking on all of us, but also this desire to, I want to earn it. Like I felt so blessed. I felt like I got away with it. You know what I mean? Like, how did I skirt death? I want to earn this. So in the hospital later, I was thinking about those feelings and I was like, oh, wow. I kind of asked myself, did I live? Did I love? And did I matter? And it really hit me. I thought, that, that, that's a gift right there. Those are the questions I'm going to ask if I'm ever going to die. Did I really live my life? Did I love others? And did I make a difference? Did I matter? And so I decided, little, at, remember, I'm 19. I, I decided at 19, I said, every night I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to ask those three questions about my day. 
So I've asked those for 23 tonight. I'll go home and I'll ask that same question. 23 years every night. And people go, how do you do so much? I go, when you live your life with intention and purpose, you can get a lot done. Because the nights that I can't say yes to those questions, it's not like I'm, I hate myself or I'm sad, right? But the nights I can say yes, I sleep well. And so I had just, I've had the simple mission, like I love your mission, make wisdom go viral. Mine has been maybe more depressive to tell people, <laughs> to tell people you're going to die. So how about this? Figure out the questions you're going to ask to evaluate your life. Mine were, did I live, did I love, did I matter? Yours might be, was I a great brother? Mm. Was I a great mom? Mm. Did I build a movement? Did I? Everyone's going to evaluate it differently. I don't have the answer for anybody. I don't know their purpose, but I say, just think. Mm -hmm. If you're 90 on the rocking chair or you're 105 on the rocking chair or you're 200 in the hospice, you know, however old you are, if you have a moment of cognition, you're evaluating life. How do you know if you lived a good one? Mm. Now wake up every day with the intention to do that. Live good so you're happy with the answers at the end. So that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that in, yeah. in such a uh, profound and moving way as well. And what I love about that and how you've translated that into what you do now is that I think a lot of us are gifted, like you said, the golden ticket, are gifted with golden ticket moments. Yes. Some are more extreme or less extreme than what you described. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter where on the spectrum it is. We, we all have those moments. And, and I think what's fascinating is that so many of us have that glimpse, mm -hmm. but then we struggle to translate that glimpse into real transformation. Yes. Or we struggle to translate this emotive, inspiring, deep personal moment into something very practical, very true. active and tangible. Yeah. And I think anyone who's watched a motivational video or been through a life-changing accident will say they've felt that, where they've had a moment where like, oh, I felt yeah, in my body that I was meant to do this. But then the next day, I just didn't feel like getting up. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you started to form the habits that were needed yeah. for you to live this every day. And you've already taught us one beautiful one, just like the one you just said. But how did you, how were you able to really take that through and start developing a world and a life to live up to those questions? Yeah, I, I mean, stage one was I was honest that I was a hot mess. <laughs> you know? Like I came back from the accident and I'm like, I'm a mess. I've been depressed. I was going to kill myself. I'm sad. My grades suck. My friends are kind of like losers, uh, you know, not in a judgmental way to sure. them, but in how I wanted to feel. They made me feel bad about mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I think a loser isn't what they've accomplished. It's how they make other people feel. Mm -hmm. Two different things. Mm -hmm. They made me feel bad. And I thought, I, I don't have it together. And that began my great and long-term committed search to studying psychology. Because I'm like, why do I think so dumb? Why do I feel so bad about myself? How do you overcome, you know, depression? How do I deal with this sadness? Why do I still have so much hatred in my heart about something that happened so long ago? Like, just all this... Like people say forgiveness, how do you do that? So I started reading everything in psychology first. Then I came into personal development. And then I got into spirituality. Then I got into leadership development. Then I got into business. It was every single thing of like, how do I change myself? So much so you and I have the shared history. We both worked at a, a consulting company. Absolutely. I was a change management consultant yeah. because I spent literally from that moment for the next six years studying change. 
in some way or another, studying psychology, studying political science, studying organizational communications and management to see how do you, how do people change? And so I became infatuated. So in personal development, I studied like Dale Carnegie and uh, Napoleon Hill and Earl Nightingale and Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and Marianne Williamson, and Debbie Ford and Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer and, uh, you know, uh, Tony Robbins and, and just uh, Brian Tracy and anyone I could get my hands on there. In psychology, I got into Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow and Alfred Adler. Uh, you know, in political science, I was, you know, studying this person in philosophy. I was going down the rabbit hole and I was just eating and absorbing it and asking the questions every day mm. and trying to live it. And the most important thing that my, that, at my time, I said, you know what? I want to learn to be confident. I want to learn how to communicate well. And I want to learn to have great relationships. So I studied those things really intensely and I just tried them. And I tried them <laughs> and I just, I literally, I was so good about making little goal sheets and trying it. And that was the year I also began my monthly goals. So on the first of every month to this day, I write a personal goal and a professional goal um, that is the, outside of all the things that project I'm trying to achieve, the personal goal is something like be more patient this month. And every day I look out on the way out, I put on the door, I'd walk out and be patient. No matter what my other goals or objectives were, that was like the defining personal theme. So I created monthly challenge themes for 23 years. You know, patients have come up a lot of times. <laughs> you know? It's like joy has come up a lot of times. Yes. You know, uh, uh, staying centered has come up a lot of times. It's not like I have ever achieved. I've no one achieves personal development. Agreed. Or purpose. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It is like an intention and a dedication. And so that's where it started. And by studying all that, it gave me the edge. Mm. I really believe when you are a student of life, especially in psychology and philosophy, you get the edge. Because yeah. when people are having problems, you can see perspective around it. And once you have perspective, you got superpowers because mm. most people are trapped in their problems. And if you have perspective of how people have solved or managed these things in the past, you have superpowers to people. They can't believe, like, how did you know to say that or that? I'm like, oh, I read that in a personal development book 10 years ago. Uh, and that made the big difference for me. Wow. It made a big difference. So it's, it's just reading. I mean, I read a book a week for 23 years. I love that. Never missed. Um, that's not true. Four times in my life I missed most, two of them were in the <laughs> hospital. So that's it. Um, oh, wow. I'm, I'm a reader. And then I try to apply it. Yeah. Try to apply it. And then the ultimate challenge is I made my career about it mm. that forced me to develop skill. Mm -hmm. When I was a consultant first, then I became a coach, then decided to become a researcher and a writer in this field. I had to prove my chops. There was no just talk about it. It wasn't posting on you know Instagram because I didn't have that. It was, can I sit in a room with an executive and change? Yes. Can I get the change? Can, can I sit with a high profile athlete who's in trouble with their behavior? Can I get the change? Can I sit down with a person who wants to start a business and give them that confidence they need? Like whatever it was, it was real time challenges for so long mm -hmm. that fortunately that experience helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you're talking about because I think we have such a answer obsession today. 
Like we're all looking for the answers. We're all trying to find the answers. Yeah. And actually what you're saying is the emphasis should be on the questions, yeah. finding the right questions to ask. That's it. And then finding where to find the answers to those questions, which yeah. led you into psychology and led you into political science and led you into philosophy and led you to all these places. Yes. Because you were answering, asking the right questions. Yeah. And, and I think there's such an answer obsession today with, we want the answer. We want to know how this works and why it works. But we've just got to go deeper into asking that question more sincerely, more genuinely. And so much more comes from that because you just feel inspired by that question. I feel, and what you mean by student of life, like when you're a student of life, it means you're questioning. That's it. Right? That's what it means. We, like, what else does it mean? Talk about questioning. Like I had, I had been doing seminars and coaching for six, seven years at a really high level. But I was wondering, I'm like, is my stuff right? Is it true? Am I one of these guys who just taught? Like, let me super test it. So we did research. I teamed up with a researcher from University of Pennsylvania's positive psychology department and a researcher at UC Santa Barbara. We conducted the world's largest study of high performers of all time. Mm -hmm. Like no other study has been this big, this comprehensive, this deep dive. 190 countries? 190 countries. Yeah. I mean, millions of data points. And, and, and the reason because no one would spend the money on it. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this. Let's figure this out. Because I want to know that what I'm doing is precise and, and academically validated. Mm -hmm. But I only bring that up because the first habit that we discovered of high performers worldwide, and high performers tend to be the top 15% of successful people in whatever field that is. Um, <clears throat> and usually, you know, and that's the broad 190 countries. In the US, it's the top 3%. Mm -hmm. uh, hands down, the habit that really changed their trajectory was this habit called seek clarity. No, so it doesn't say get clarity. Yeah. High performers seek clarity. I'll give an example. Yeah, um, please. Like with, with Oprah. Um, I've had the blessing of working with Oprah. If you have a meeting with Oprah, when she walks in that meeting, her first thing she asks is, what's our intention for this meeting? Mm -hmm. Now, lots of executives walk in meetings, they just start the meetings. She's seeking clarity of what is this about? And you take an underperformer in the work world or at your job, what they, they just bumble in and they're like, okay, <laughs> let's just do it. High performers go, what is this about? Where does it fit in? What's the priority? They're asking themselves questions constantly and not questions of self-doubt, questions of clarity. Mm -hmm. like, like, who could I be? What's my best self look in this situation? You know, that's a question high performers ask. Uh, they they want to know, how can I be of most service in this situation? Mm. A lot of people <clears throat> just go through the motions. High performers seek clarity. They ask the questions. And because they get clarity and seek clarity throughout the process, they get ahead faster. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people just, and they're good, but a lot of people are just brunt force workers. They'll just go and do it. And they'll just apply force and will and hope and fire and hours at something. But often they're running in the wrong direction. Yeah, absolutely. High performers, you know, it's like in directions. Some people will drive for 50 minutes. Other people will pull aside in five and go, hey, where do I go? Mm -hmm. That's the high performer and they're going to get there faster and succeed in life. That's yeah. seeking clarity. And that sometimes feels scarier to do because you have to open up yourself yes. to vulnerability, not knowing you feel like you're not intelligent now or the other person may perceive you as yeah. different. Like how, how do you break that, that, that barrier of like being okay with saying, you know, I don't know and I want to find out. How do you break that? Because I think for so many people, even raising their hand at an event, 
or going up and really asking you a question. I used to, I used to say to people all the time, I was like, mm. when you see someone you admire, stop asking for a picture, ask for a question. You know, there it's it like, Ooh, I love like, that. you know what I mean? Like yes, you get asked for pictures that. all the time. And I'm like, why, if, if you had a moment, like, let's just imagine, let's take Oprah. You have a moment with Oprah. Are you going to ask a picture or are you going to ask for a question? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's that there. And if I meet you, it's like, can I ask for a picture? Or am I going to ask Brendan for a, a question? Yeah. You studied 190 countries and the top performers. Yeah. I'm hoping I would ask you a question. Yeah. And, and I think, so how do you get there? How do you get to a point where you, you wire your brain in such a way that you're, you break the fear of, I'm scared of looking silly. I'm scared of looking stupid. I'm, right. I'm scared of looking like I don't know. And actually recognizing that's a strength. Yeah. Uh, I would say maybe not the most popular answer. I, I go to the fear. Mm. How are you going to look silly or stupid, you're not going to ask questions and you're going to end up in the wrong place. And people are like, why don't you just ask? Mm. Like follow the fear. If the fear says, I'm scared, I'm look stupid by asking questions. Like, well, let's flip that. Because if you don't ask questions, you're definitely going to look stupid. You're definitely going to end up in the wrong place. Yeah. You're definitely, I mean, you're, you're manifesting the very thing you fear by not doing the thing that you're scared and being, bare, uh, you know, you don't want to be vulnerable about. Yeah. So I think one, first, I'm always a guy, I'm like, pay attention to the research. If the research <laughs> clearly says, like I'm, I'm a little bit scientific in my Me mind too. that way. I'm yeah, like, yeah. if the research says clearly across 190 countries and some of the most successful people on the planet, they ask more questions and they're intentional and thoughtful about that, then start monitoring your questions. Because what most people will do, and you know this, a lot of their questions are horrible. Mm. Why do I suck? Why don't I fit in? Why don't I have what she has? You know, so what's wrong with questions. me? Yeah. This is what people do ask. Right. If people listen to their thoughts, a lot of their thoughts are negative questions. What's wrong with me? Ah, yeah, wow. So, You're already asking questions. It's just the quality of your questions are probably pretty low. Great. Mm. So now we need to That's first more actively seek and ask questions, be vulnerable about it. Pay attention to the quality of questions you're already asking. Mm. And what we found in the research, which was really easy for people if they want to draw the circle out yeah. or draw these circles out. It's specifically, we went to the research and I interviewed 300 of the top high performers in the world, not for podcasts, but like in real, like structured academic style. And here's what they tend to be more clear about. They are more clear about self, social, skill, and service. Mm. And here's the breakdown of that. Self is they have an intention of who they want to be. And they're clear about that. They're like, if you could describe your ideal self, we did this in the research, it's actually on video, it's interesting. If you ask an underperformer or a high performer on video, could you describe your ideal self? Drop three or four words to describe your ideal self. High performers, bop, bop, bop. Mm -hmm. The answers like fall right out of their mouth. Underperformers like, it's almost like they never thought about it. Yeah. So they didn't have the intention about who they wanted to be. So what I have people do is in their phone, I have them program their alarm, to describe their best self in three words and make that alarm pop up throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So you're walking, because you always look at your phone when it buzzes. It buzzes the alarm and it says bold, dynamic, confident. Great, it says that over <laughs> and over. Or kind, loving, thoughtful, you know, or generous, empathetic, you know, uh, whatever. When that pops up over and over and over, it starts to set the intention in the mind a little bit. That's why people should use affirmations too. On the social side, they were incredibly intentional about how they wanted other people to feel. Yes. You and I just talked about this out there about what I love about you is you want people to feel like they are your friend and you want to feel like a friend to them. That's a social intention. You're clear about that. And you even said when you got clear about that, something changed for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, massive. It was huge. And, and I think what, what I love about what you're sharing right now is this, 
we always get lost in the confusion of who we are, even at the most basic things. Yes. So what I say to people, like how many times have you ever stayed up and struggled to find something to watch on Netflix? Now, it sounds like a stupid example, but my point is I'm guessing a high performer knows exactly what type of movies they like. That's right. They know what type of food they like in the morning for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when you ask people, they'll say, oh, no, no, but I like being spontaneous. And, and often I think that that answer means I don't know, or I don't really think about these things. Yes. And so like, if you ask a high performer, what kind of movies do you like? They'll be able to say, oh, these are my favorite movies. Yeah. I found that when I could have more self-awareness about what movies I like, yeah. I had more self-awareness about how I wanted to be in social situations. Yeah. Yes. And self. Yes. And and I think it starts with the small things and the big things. Yeah, right. Uh, everything from what you want to eat for breakfast all the way through to how are you going to serve and impact the world? It's the superpower you have because you meditate, because you journal, you write, you reflect. That reflective process of our lives has gotten kind of stolen away by the distractions. Mm-hmm. So people don't know. And you could see, you could see in video, they're like, uh, they don't know. The other element is skill. So- they like high performer. You say, what's two or three skills you're working on in your life right now that you're actively learning or training on? They're like, bop, bop, bop. Underperformers like, I don't know. Mm. Like they're almost hoping to get better. And you're like, oh no, you, you, you need to decide. These are skills. Like for me, I sucked on video. <laughs> sucked. It's hard on to video. believe it now. No, I got my video guy, Travis <laughs> here, right here. He could tell you <laughs> 10 years ago, I was kind of horrible. Really? Like, Travis? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was a nod. Was a nod. And I couldn't believe it. It yeah. was awful. I mean, even before him, I had the, the you remember flip video cameras? Yeah, I no one knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no, I remember. Yeah. The flip video camera, it was like just a stick and it had a button on it. And I would, I, I was broke living in an apartment at the time and I duct tape it around this box and press the button. And I had my shirt was all open <laughs> and my hair was like all over. And I was like, I'm Brendan. Because I didn't know how to talk to camera. I didn't know how to be myself yet. I was, Video was really awkward for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I Like in all the personality tests, believe it or not, I'm half inter- introvert, half, I'm right down the line mm-hmm. between introvert and extrovert. Mm-hmm. So I need my personal time. So camera was super awkward for me. And I was like, okay, but if I want to change the world, guess what is necessary? Communication skills. Mm. I'm going to have to learn that. I, I was not, I didn't, wasn't raised in a place. I was raised in Montana where men didn't really communicate except with looks, glances, and fists, you know? So it was like, if a guy lifted, it wasn't like, we, like we're gesturing. Right, 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 yeah. Where I'm from, if their hand came up, you're getting punched in the face, man. That was oh, it. Oh, wow. So I had to learn emotional intelligence. That's a skill. Mm. Uh, so communication, emotional intelligence. When I got into our business, I had to learn copywriting. I didn't know what that was. Email marketing. I didn't know that. I had to learn coding. I don't, none of that, I knew what it was, but I was always confident. And I think real confidence is your belief in your ability to figure things out. Mm. I believe in my ability to figure things out. Give me enough time, energy, resources, study, books, mentors. I will figure out, Ain't, you want me to go to the moon? I'll figure it out. Even though I, don't, I have no idea today, I can learn and get mentors. So that's a deep part of my life. High performers have that. They just believe they'll figure things out. That yeah. confidence is what ties a lot of their habits and their abilities together. So skill set. Oh, I better learn copywriting and video. So I practice video. A bajillion times. I forced myself to do it a bajillion times. And now I have 28 online courses and Travis has been there. I shoot all of them extemp. Mm. Literally, I'll do a two hour video with the flip chart, five words on a page. And I don't, I don't yeah. need a script or anything. Going from a kid who was like, but, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't get it out to just flowing, do four day seminars by myself for 10 hours a day on stage speaking. Like 
you know, <laughs> artists lose their voice sometimes singing for three hours. I go 10 hours a day for four days. I had to learn vocal control. I had no idea how to do that. That was a skill. But that's the important thing. Everyone listening, please write down what are the top skills you would yes. need to master to succeed in your purpose, in your life, in your career. And the last element there was service. Yeah. High performers, they kind of know the service they want to bring to the world. That's why I was like, Jay's going to smash this. Because, I mean, you were so humble. You're like, I've only been doing this X amount of time, Brendan. But you already knew you wanted to make wisdom go viral. And you knew what was true to you. You knew the type of purpose you wanted to make. And, you were, and you're still seeking that out and clarifying like we all are. But high performers know the service they want to give to the world. Mm -hmm. And they don't know it exactly or perfectly, but they're intentionally moving towards that. And so for those who are like, I don't know if I have clarity, I'm like, okay, get clarity about yourself a little more, yeah. about how you want to treat people and be with people, about what you need to develop and how you want to give or serve. And if you focus on that, like every day, every week, you're conscious of those four things. One day you're just so much more confident and clear. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and what I love about that is just this, sometimes it's just what you're fascinated with right now. That's right. Because I think sometimes we make it too big and we're like, oh, well, what's my big purpose or what's my big service to the world? And it's like, well, well what moves you right now? Like, what are you interested in right now? When, I mean, mine was totally the opposite way. I, I grew up as a really shy kid. I'm right down the middle of intro and extra too. And my parents forced me to go to public speaking and drama school when I was 14 years old. Oh my God. Because they were scared that I was too shy and I was too much of an introvert and I didn't know how to communicate. So my parents forced me to go from my school. It's an extracurricular activity. I went three times a week, oh. three hours every week from ages 14 to 18. Wow. The practice, the exams, like we were examined on reading a paragraph from a book with wow. tonality and being able to bring a story to life just through words and visuals. And then being able to, there was this thing called impromptu presentations where you got a subject five minutes before you had to go in and talk about it. Love that. And you'd be able to talk about it and you couldn't say anything that wasn't true. So you had to make sure that it was all factual and whatever you did research in those five to 10, 15 minutes was right. And, and I remember doing that and I get to the end of that and I was like, Oh, well, I've got this skill now, but I don't know what to use it for because that's <laughs> basically what I was like at 18. I was yeah. like, oh, so I've learned how to do public speaking. I'm now four years into my London Academy of Music, Drama and Arts, and I've got, you know, a gold medal and this, this, this. But I was like, what do I do with this? Because I had nothing to talk about. And then when I started studying philosophy from the Eastern perspective of the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita, I was like, oh, this is what I was meant to learn it for. Wow. Like it almost like was I had a skill with no service. Sure. And, and I don't want, and that's what I'm saying that if you're listening to this right now and you have a skill with no service, don't worry. Or if you have a service with no skill, don't worry. That's right. You know, just go and find the missing piece of the jigsaw you just gave us. Yes. This four piece jigsaw you just gave us. Chances are you probably have one of them. Yeah. And then you can go and build the other three, but don't worry about having all of them now. Right. And right? I think, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And you, you followed those interests and develop them or develop skills without even knowing how, so many people want the path to be completely clear now. And you and I were just talking about this is like, <laughs> you, 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 you have to have faith in the timing of the path. You have to believe that serendipity will appear when it's supposed to appear that purpose will reveal itself sometimes in one battle and sometimes in another battle, sometimes in this game or that game or this thought or that activity. And, you know, I think people stress way too much about getting clarity. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the phrase seeking clarity, which came from research. No, they're just, they're actively seeking. It's not like a 60-year-old high performer has everything figured out more than a 30-year-old high performer. By definition, what's making them high performers, they're both still seeking to dial it in. Like you and I are going to be dialing it in our whole lives. Sometimes it'll be a shift. Sometimes it'll be a total break. Sometimes, it'll, but that doesn't stop for anybody. No. It just doesn't. No. Yeah, I love that. I love that differentiation between getting and seeking clarity. The other thing that fascinates me that you've written about high performers is this strive for perfection where high performers can often be hard on themselves. Yes. And, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. It's this difference between the pressure that we place on ourselves versus complacency. Yeah. Because I think right now we're hearing a bit of both out there on social media and everywhere. And a lot of people are confused. It's like, do I really go hard on myself? And am I really disciplined? And am I really harsh to myself? Or actually, do I just let it go and just let it flow and let it happen? And, you know, I want to hear what your research on the high performance said. Yeah. When it came to perfection versus progress. Yeah. There's, there's no question they're more into progress than perfection. There's no question. There's like zero question that they are working on the things that move the needle in their life. Mm. So they're focused on the, 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 the things that matter most. So they're good at wheeling out distractions. But uh, you know what I always tell people is like, if you think you're a perfectionist, you're probably lying. And, and the reason that is, and that people hate when I say <laughs> that, but if you look it up in the book, in the dictionary, it's like perfection. Like if you actually look up perfection or to perfect, it comes from that root word to perfect. To perfect does not mean it's done. To perfect means like two things happen in in that connotation of to perfect. First, it has to be an iteration or a start. It has to be done in like first draft. (laughs) To perfect, it means take it from being done, being released, being out there, being, you know, where you feel like it's a start and then to perfect it, to keep working on it, to keep iterating on it. And what perfection, well, I, what perfectionists always say, here's what they really say. Well, I haven't started yet because I'm a perfectionist and I'm only going to do it if I can get it completely right. <laughs> no, you're lying. There's a difference between want, there's a difference between perfecting and being fearful. Yes. And what most perfectionists are is they're scared. Mm. They're scared to start and scared not to get it right. Mm. So they don't even begin. Yeah. A real perfectionist is so in friggin' motion. They are, they're perfecting, they're beating it up, they're iterating there, they're dialing it in and they are active at it. To perfect requires an active improvement. Mm-hmm. And most people who say they're perfectionists are actually dead stop fear. Yeah. And so I'm just like, <laughs> be clear about where you're at. Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, I think that's great <laughs> advice. I love that advice because I've always had a rule since I started that all my videos are 70% complete. So that's yes. my rule. Yes. It's 70%. That's all you're getting. Yeah. There's words that I say wrong. There's fumbles. There may be a few mistakes here and there. The editing may be slight, but it's like my rule was 70% because that journey from 70 or 75 to 99 could take decades. That, yeah. like you can never, yeah. it could, I would never release something. And I remember in 2016, after my first ever video, one of my first videos that went viral, I actually got so scared because it was almost like, oh, I have to live up to that now. So mm. I remember not creating. Yeah. And so I went from creating one video a week to creating one video a month. And guess what? I learned less. I was That's engaging right. less to connect with my audience to understand what they needed and what I was giving. Yeah. And I was trying less ideas, yeah. which meant that I wasn't learning. You weren't learning the, as much. I wasn't growing at all. I wasn't progressing And the world was being taken from getting more 
beauty from which her. came from a place of not thinking like that yeah. which came from a place of not trying Fear. to be perfect exactly the original video that did well came from a genuine place of just wanting to serve and trying to figure it out and then all of a sudden we're wow. not serving anymore so good and so i was like okay this doesn't make any sense and i was like actually and then last year when we started making more videos i can honestly hand on my heart say that when we started doing three videos a week i started to learn so much more Yes. I was like, oh, I really like it when I write like this. And I really like it when I create like this. And the audience really responds when I share it this way. And I was learning so much more. Yeah, and, and I was feeling more fulfilled by making more mistakes, but learning more. And so my mistakes increased, yeah. but your learning increased yes. too, which, which was a much more mm. fulfilling place to be, even mm. though it was tough at times, but it was fulfilling. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. if you guys are listening, you're thinking, oh, this is just two podcaster guys jamming about how it's so easy to get started. Let me, let me share with you this one of the higher performers in the world, Jeff Bezos, yeah. who started a little company called Amazon. Tiny. He <laughs> talks about this idea that he and executive team makes decisions when they have about 60% of the information. Uh, so I'm 10% above Jeff Bezos. So yeah. I should. Yeah. <laughs> I should so, bring well, you think about that for a yeah, minute. Yeah, yeah. Like, wait a minute. A person and a team that could get all the information in the world, they, what they do is they're moving forward, even when they don't have everything. And what perfectionists do, what they don't realize is there's a difference between perfection. Remember, perfection is to perfect, in motion, iterative, moving, it's active. Mm. What they also can't admit sometimes is the real struggle is they're indecisive. Most perfectionists, they actually know the next moves. And I'm like, go, SWAT team, make it happen, <laughs> release it, drop it, do it, go. And I'm cheering them on. I'm like, go. Like for everyone listening, you need to know high performers are decisive, not because they are like, I know everything and I've got clarity. I know they know if they don't drop it, if they don't release it, if they don't do it, they can't iterate it and make it better. They can't learn just as you said. And worse, they can't be of service because mm -hmm. when you're in silence in your life and you're in silence because of fear in your life, not silence like the way you and I talk about it in a positive way, mm -hmm. being still and silent inside, that's a positive thing. But when you are in silence in a way in which you are suffering because of fear, you are not going to be able to serve. Mm -hmm. you, you have to be in motion to serve. Mm -hmm. You have to release things to perfect it. You gotta be decisive. Almost everybody listening, I, I did this course with the Oprah Winfrey Network called Your Next Bold Move. And that language of being bolder everybody listening probably should do that. And not because I'm saying, you know, carte blanche, everyone should be bolder. I'm just saying carte blanche, everyone should be bolder. <laughs> <laughs> like they should, yeah. like be bold. Like for me, bold is, we just did the influencer event. Mm -hmm. I, I think you were sitting there and I, I was, Travis was sitting there and they were like, why don't you just ask your friends? You have all these people who they've learned their careers from, they'll, they'll help, they're, just ask them to come and speak. And being bold is asking sometimes, mm -hmm. not just taking some huge action. It's asking for help. I wish as a 19 year old kid, I could look back and say, Hey kid, man, you're going to kill yourself. Ask someone for help. Mm -hmm. Tell someone what's going on in your head. Raise your hand, like admit it, be vulnerable. And I didn't, I didn't know that. That would have been bold. Mm -hmm. That'd been bold, been vulnerable. And I, so it, bold doesn't have to be SWAT team take down the world. Sometimes ask for help, put yourself out there and know you'll figure out, you'll, you'll catch that clip. You'll figure it out. You'll get it going on. You'll improve, but move. Yeah. Like the world needs action takers right now. Mm. It desperately needs it. We have a lot of sideline, you know, conversationalists, mm. a, a lot of sideline, you know, judgment 
We have a lot of people not in the arena and we need more people in the arena, in play. We can't keep pointing and blaming and saying, this is wrong, that sucks and everything, but we're not moving our feet forward and demanding change, creating change, fighting for the change that we want. Because we think, well, I don't have the perfect plan, so I don't have anything to fight for. Oh no, you have values, you have passion, you have interests, fight for those. You have a project you believe in at work, talk about it. Stop waiting for the perfect time to bring it up. There's not gonna be perfect time, bring it up. You believe in someone and you wanna help lift them up, do it now, don't wait for the perfect time. It's like we've gotten too sedentary in not just in our physiology, but in our actual actions. Uh, a tweet is not an action. Like you, you, you gotta move, you gotta make things happen. And I think that's what high performers really inspired in me. Cause if it sounds like, if it sounds at all like I'm being preachy, I'm literally just sharing what I learned from these high performers. Cause the truth is they were more bold than me doing the research. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I got up. They were more clear than me. They were more energized than me. They were more productive. Everyone thinks, well, Brendan's got it all figured out or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm a student and I'm just reporting what I heard from the field y'all. And I want you to take some of this stuff in there. They had habits that allowed them to succeed beyond normal people. But here's what's beautiful about high performance, and this is really important. There's success, but in the way we measured high performance, high performance means you succeed beyond standard norms over the long term while maintaining well being and positive relationships. Mm, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. That's why I hardest love part. your podcast. Because so much of what you come back to is relationships. Mm -hmm. But high performers don't burn out relationships. Mm -hmm. They don't take people for granted. In fact, you know, it's like Booker T. Washington taught us. That, you know, there's two ways to exert strength. One is pushing down. The other is pulling up. And high performers, they're the pulling up kind. Mm -hmm. That's why high performers also don't report being lonely at the top. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors, Brian Tracy, said, if you're lonely at the top, you did it wrong. <laughs> but high performers, because you're lifting people up, it's almost like, you have a chorus of people, mm. right? You got a tribe, you lifted people up along, you were generous with people as you rose. And that's what that, our research, what became so famous about high performance habits was we could measurably prove long-term success and say, wait, you can have long-term success and maintain your health mm -hmm. and your relationships. That's possible. Cause most people think you have to compromise. You got to become a jerk or you can't work out. Yeah. That's or not you true. can't be married or you can't have a long-term relationship. Or you can't have or, kids. Yeah. Or we tell all of these stupid yeah. stories or you have to come up from a certain thing. The other thing that was really pioneering the goddess and a lot of academics and uh, corporate is we measurably showed high performance is not strongly correlated with age, gender, nationality, I love that. personality, competency, years on the job or compensation. And every time someone wants to argue with me, I just go to basic common sense. I'm like, okay. They're like, well, of course, rich people or, or highly compensated people work harder. I'm like, oh no, have you ever worked for a lazy butt boss? <laughs> they were getting paid more, but they were lazy. Yeah. Like payment doesn't mean high performance. No, 100%. Either more does age. You know, we, we got like, we got old people outperforming young people and young people outperforming old people. Uh, where you're from, there's high performers in every given culture. And it's not because their personality, because you have introverts, and extroverts, people who are open, people who are neurotic, people who have no anxiety, people who have tons of anxiety. But it's the habits that they are following that wrote about in high performance habits. That is, that's what it was. Because mm -hmm. we measured a hundred different performance variables and it came down to these six high performance habits. And, uh, and, and 
I loved it too because I was wrong. Yeah. About like, if you ask me what I thought that I was, was going to ask you. I oh just, my god! I was literally just about to ask. Oh, you, you were. Like, what was one that surprised you? I was literally just about to ask you that. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> to one of them that didn't make, or, or like something that yeah. Tell me about the yeah, one that surprised something, you. Something like, because well, me personally, you know, yeah. I identify as, as as you know an author, speaker, coach, creator, online trainer, thought leader, hopefully social media guy, whatever. Um, creator, uh, creativity was not in the top six. Wasn't. No. Yeah. And it floored me because that's me. But I, I interviewed this guy. He was a chief technology officer for, you know, a fortune, probably 10, fortune 10 company. He's got tens of thousands of employees. And he said, well, Brendan, um, I'm not particularly creative. I don't think my team is particularly creative, but we are incredibly intentional and disciplined mm. and we are incredibly collaborative. Mm. And those things, which for him was his style of productivity, made him a high performer, even though they really weren't that creative. Mm. But so for those who are, don't feel like that's yeah. really important because in this modern social media world, if you don't identify as a creative person, which a lot of people do not, they don't feel like they have that gift, even though they do, that's okay. And it, what's interesting about the research, it doesn't say creativity is not important. It says that these six habits and high performance habits are more important. Because in you know research, you do correlations. And so it's like clarity, energy, necessity, productivity, influence, and courage are all just more important in this particular research than some of these other things. And these are all things anyone can have. That's what anybody that's can what's do. That's so amazing about the research. That's what yes. I'm hearing those and I'm going, there is there's no excuses. Basically, your research tells us there's no excuses. Yeah. For the dorks who are listening, <laughs> like me, the geeks and the data hounds, uh, the way that you do that is we, all the hundred performance variables that we codified and we also took from academic research um, and my own experience in training people for a decade was we put it through a filter. Are these habits something that are observable, learnable, malleable, which means you can change it, improve it, um, and uh, can happen across domains? So, I mean, the CEO can do it, but so can the person at the front desk. Yeah. So can the mom at home. So can the student. So can the athlete, meaning these had, that's how we had identify them. Yeah. Otherwise what they were, were that person's personality, or it was, you know, that person had a natural strength or skill there, but also for those who are interesting and you're so worried about your strengths, because a lot of people listening like me, maybe when the whole strengths movement started, I was like, I'm screwed. I ain't got none. <laughs> you know? The good news is high performers don't report working on their strengths any more than underperformers or anybody else. Because high performers less often ask, what am I good at? What are my unique strengths? Then they tend to ask, what is needed here? And how can I be of service? So for example, if I had said, is my strength video? I would have never done video. Mm -hmm. Instead, I said, how do I be of service to more people? I'm going to have to reach more people. I have to use video. Same. Yeah. Right. So people don't get trapped in thinking if you don't have a strength right now that a, you can't develop it and B that that's necessary. We need less people kind of gazing at their navels and, 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 and being like, what am I like? And, and I love the self-awareness and the deep introspection, but we also need people who just show up and provide service, even if they're not comfortable with that, mm -hmm. even if they're not good at that. Like most of the things that we do, we weren't good at, but we totally. said, oh, that would help me be of more service. Mm -hmm. Let me do it. Let me figure it out. Yeah. There's a difference between 
inexperience and weakness. Like, yeah. There's a difference, right? Like totally. it's not yeah. really, so you've not really explored something. It's just inexperience. That's right. Right. If you never started a podcast, like I didn't know how to interview before I did my first ever podcast. <laughs> like you yeah. just don't know, right? You don't, you don't practice interviews at home or your parents never interviewed you and you do your first interview and you're like, oh, okay. I like that. I learned that. I got that wrong. We maybe should have put the mic closer to him and maybe the yeah. camera was in the wrong angle. And then, and then you change it. Right. And I, yeah. I think you're spot on that it don't, yeah. Do not accept inexperience for weakness. Do not, do not just sit there and go, I don't have that as a natural gift. Yes. And this is one of the reasons why I'm going into a soccer analogy here. Sorry, but it was why I admire so many, uh, a player named Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. a great soccer Incredible. player, Incredible. because he's worked on things. And often people say to him, oh, it's not God given for him or it's not a gift he was given. But it's like, for me, that's what makes it more incredible. It's right. that he's worked on every single part of his game to become this complete player. That's it. And and to demonstrate that that the work ethic and the, not just the work ethic, but the seeking clarity and that. Tell me about the energy piece. I'm fascinated by that yeah. because I feel like I, I want to hear the definition of energy that you explored yep. and also just how people were able to bring energy even when they didn't feel like it too, because yeah. that seems like a big thing for a high performer to be right. able to do is bring it when they don't feel I'm like so it. glad I did this because I you know energy to me is just like a feeling or a sense but mm -hmm. in, in the research we had to codify three separate kinds of energy one is mental energy which is straight up your mental focus and stamina right to do activities right right without just like tuning off <laughs> right because that's hard you yeah could, I mean if, I'm sure some people have started writing a paper and you got to page one and a half and your land your brain went somewhere else totally um you were just tired the other one is emotional energy which is the quality of positive versus negative emotion and the last one was a spiritual energy mm -hmm. a sensation that they were in flow or not um and what we found out is high performers have incredibly intentional habits to protect that energy. Mm. Um, you know, when we were on tour with her Oprah, she, uh, when Oprah was on tour, she tells this great story about how she was so moved by someone who's on her show, who went into a green room and was telling Oprah the story of, she saw this sign that said, please be responsible for the energy you bring into this space. Yeah. And I'm always saying, please be responsible for the energy you project into the world. Yes. High performers are so critically aware of what their energy is they're feeling and how they're treating other people. It's profound. And the way that they do that is they have a lot of habits that protect their well-being. So they're truly seeking to optimize health. They care about nutrition. Um, on, the world's largest study on productivity that's ever been done found out that on average, the world's most productive 1% of people take a break every 52 minutes. Mm. Every 52 minutes, they take a break. Now, if you ask them, did you need the break? They're like, no. They could power through all day. They have the mental energy and stamina. To, they could go, but they take the break like a pit stop, yeah. like in like a NASCAR, right? The, car, the cars actually don't need to stop right then. They stop to change things out and optimize things so they can keep going faster. Yes. We have to do that in our own lives. So some of them, that's meditation. Um, one that's incredibly important for everybody here, especially in the United States. Right now in the United States of America, 72% of Americans are overweight or obese. And that has incredible health repercussions. That is you're sicker longer, you die earlier, you report less happiness throughout the, 
the majority of your life, you pass some of that behavior on to children. Like it's a very big deal. And it's not a judgment of a, of a body shaming thing. It is a, your quality of life in every measurable way that they have in science shows it's not as good. Mm. And we want you to feel okay. Well, high performers, they work out five times per week, 40% more likely than an underperformer. Mm -hmm. Now that workout might be literally like you take a 45 minute walk at, after dinner. Sure. It doesn't mean you're climbing and running the mountain. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to have a six pack or anything. You move every day. Mm -hmm. And so they're protecting that. You know, I think that's what's really important. Mm -hmm. They have active lifestyles, not because it's easy, because they know the alternative of burnout and fatigue will hurt their performance. Yes, exactly. Every new NBA guy I've ever worked with, they want to party. They want to rip it up. They just got that check. They're a superstar now. They're on the phone with me, Brandon. And I'm like, don't. <laughs> you, you, you got a game in three days, dude. Yeah. This is, this is an easy thing. If you care about how you show up in three days, mm. and that's what I always tell people, how you feel right now is going to ripple into three days. Yeah. Like we know that from research. Like your nutrition today actually affects three days of behavior. Mm -hmm. That's profound. We, we don't get that. No. And, and then when you measure it out over longevity studies, no, it affects your whole lifespan. So it, it's wildly important. And the most research, and you, you're more, even more familiar than that research than I am, is, is the absolute importance of having a mental game in which you meditate, pray, nap, mm. or just close your eyes for a few minutes every day to recenter a little bit. A lot of fatigue and headaches are actually visual. And so what I tell people to do and what we teach in our seminars, High Performance Academy, is I, I teach the audience all these things to do at the 52-minute mark. One of them, stand up from your desk or stand up no matter where you're at every 52 minutes. Even if you're driving, pull over every 52 minutes. And what I tell people, stand in place, bounce in place, not jumping up and down, just kind of bouncing lightly from the knees. Close your eyes because visual fatigue is a real thing. Mm -hmm. They've shown visual fatigue also hurts creativity. So- Close your eyes, bounce, and take 10 deep breaths. In through the nose is one, out through the mouth, 10 times. While bouncing in place. The bounce is moving the lymph around your body, circulating the blood, refreshing your brain. Most brain fatigue is also tied to blood flow. Mm -hmm. So we just got to move, 100%. dancing in place. Breath is tied to all chi, all energy, all life force. Closing the eyes lets the brain literally reset. It's, un it's profound. That's why meditators don't do it with their eyes open. Mm -hmm. Like you, <laughs> it's like, there's a whole other level that happens. And I mean, you're way more familiar with the research. No, no, no. It's beautiful. It, 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 it is. I, what I'm telling people is it, it is necessary. Yes. If meditation is your thing, pray, pray ain't your thing. Close your eyes, uh, cl <laughs> close your eyes, anything, Jump up take time. the afternoon nap yeah. because why in the blue zones, they tend to take a nap after lunch. They live longer. Mm -hmm. That is a reset. And what I'm here to tell people is high performers reset every hour. It's yeah. crazy. Every hour. So I had learned every hour, two things happen. My butt outside of this meeting right here, if my butt hits a chair, my timer on my iPhone hits 50, to 50 minutes. I start 50 minutes. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of the most beautiful sentence of my Let's life. Let's do it right writing. now. Writing. <laughs> it goes, bing. I stand up. I bounce. I take a big swig of water, bounce in place, take 10 deep breaths. I go refill the water come back. Um, and I call it for me, it's like, uh, I, I release the tension. 
I close my eyes. I'm just trying to, to me, meditation for me, the benefits that I receive, it, it released the tension in my mind, released the tension in my body. And then when I sit back down, I go, what's my intention? And what is the absolute best use of my time by the end of the day? Reset, go back to work. Mm. I do that every hour. Mm-hmm. It's why I'm so annoyingly productive. <laughs> you know? it's like, I love that. We should do it right now. I you want to do it? Yeah, let's, let's do, it. do it. You need some water? So first we just start with a uh, reset, which we're, this is what I mean by bouncing. Yeah. We're just going to do this. We're going to sway our arms forward and back, close our eyes, 10 deep breaths, go. Notice his breath is getting longer because that's what happens. One more. Okay, now just shake it out. That's just the breathing. I love it. Already you're coming That's back. That's great. Yeah, right? coming. Now we're going to do Qigong, okay. which is a, a cupping activity, they call it, a cupping for casual. And all we're going to do is we're going to activate the meridians of our body. Mm-hmm. For those who don't believe in meridians of your body, all science shows that there's nerve endings on your skin, right? So if you don't believe in, oh, this is qi, yeah. then you believe in nerves. And we're just going totally. to open up our body. It's like yeah. if you tap your arm, you feel that energy. 100%. Right? And we're going to do that for our whole body. Amazing. Okay, so Qigong. Yeah. So we're going to start with our our fingertips. So cupping means you take positive intent and energy. A lot of the the masters will teach like put a color like blue or green or a vibrant color for you here. And we're going to cup. What means we're going to lightly tap and we're going to go from here all the way up. Okay. And then we're going to do we're going to do here and we're going to do here. We'll do here. We'll do here. And then we're just going to do one right here, which is a huge meridian back right here everyone's got low back yep so we're just gonna start here like this and the intention is take a nice deep breath in nice deep breath out this is where everyone outside your studio is going what are they doing (laughs) like richard shows up like what's happening so we do this i do this every 50 minutes in a plane i love it you release your shoulder release all the tension in your shoulder and really strong okay now from your waist we're gonna move up you're just moving up one inch at a time Take a nice deep breath in, right when you get below your armpit. Next hand, we're going up and just breathing. Just putting energy, positivity, joy into your arms. Most people have really strong, so drop your shoulder. Most people carry so much tension in their shoulders, this releases the tension in their shoulder right here. Now we're gonna bend slightly at the waist. And right on your lower back, and you're gonna take five breaths here. Stand, close your eyes, bounce, five more breaths. Sway your arms. Open your eyes, jump in place. Oh, I feel great. And now just release. I feel great. That was awesome. And you're alive. That's amazing. 
we can show in brain scans that it decreases blood flow. You decrease blood flow, you decrease oxygenation, which your body and your brain needs for activity, like your mitochondria, everything in your body counts on, do we get some blood flow? Are we, are, are we like, and so what people don't know is their brain is off half the day and they think because they're tired and breath is the way back in. Yeah. This activation, which people are like, think is so weird. It's like, oh no, just like, if you're like, I'm, I, if you're watching this and you didn't try it or you're listening, like literally just tap your forearm five times and you're like, you're like, and then notice the energy. You're like, Absolutely. oh, the energy just changed right there. Yeah. Like it really changed. Well, when you do that, your whole body, Qigong actually goes ankle up, ankle around here and the whole body. And then they'll also often put tapping in. Yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden you're like, that is amazing. Now, now I'm going to bang out like 10 chapters in my book. Yeah. Now I'm going to finish the presentation. Now I feel good to call my coaching client. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm extremely lucky to coach some of the top performers in the world in athletics and business. Right before I came over here, I had, had the blessing of coaching a billionaire literally on the way over uh, 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 this meeting this morning. And what I have found is if you want to be a high performer, you got to learn to turn yourself on. Right? <laughs> Don't take that weird. But no, you, no, no. You have to, how do you turn your brain on? How do you turn your spirit on? How do you turn your heart on? Like you've had that too, where you're, you, you, all of a sudden you got to sit down. You had a long day. We both had long days before we did this. If you can't turn your heart, your mind, your spirit, your body on, there is no chance yeah. for you to sustain long-term performance. 100%. I love that. That was yeah. amazing. Is that cool? I love that. That was awesome. <laughs> no, the reason why I love it so much is because what you just said about turning yourself on, it's just like when you're living for, so for me, it was, when I spent my time as a monk, I focused so much on the mind and we really pushed our bodies to extreme lengths. And then when I came back and I was having to live in this body, I was like, I want to serve and that's why I want to take care of my body and mind. Yes. Right? Like that became the intention. I was like, I'm going to have incredible habits for what I eat and how much I work out and what I do with my body because I want to serve for the rest of my there life. There it is. I don't want to die early because I was neglectful. I don't want to die early because... I was neglectful and not caring and complacent because yes. I felt I was still 22 when, when you still feel all of this <laughs> You can have the pizza and the beer. And yeah. Yeah. And, and so the soul, is, the soul is motivated by service. Like the soul gets energy from service, but the body needs activity like this movement yep. Yep. to feel energized. Right? Every measurable outcome yeah. in your life improves with more quality of exercise. Yeah. And I always tell people, even at, at a spiritual level, uh, you know, I ask people, you know, would you go to the house next door and spray paint it and break all the windows and throw a bunch of garbage in it? And yet you're so willing to vandalize the temple mm. that God has given to house your soul. Yeah. That's your house. So if you wouldn't go vandalize your neighbor's house, why are you vandalizing your house? Yeah. Your gift it's very important, you know, garbage in, garbage out, pay attention. And I'm not here to say everyone has to, you know, eat perfectly and work out a million percent. I'm here to share the research that is unequivocal. Yeah. Mental health and exercise and protecting both of those, diet, nutrition, meditation, all of these things, sleep, all of these impact how good of a job you do tomorrow, mm -hmm. how long you live, you know, how, how good you feel. And I'm like, everyone wants to be happy. So this, that's what I was happy about. I was so happy that made it into the research that like generate energy. Yeah. That's the chapter generating energy. How do high performers generate energy and sustain it? And all these things we talk about in our industry, 
it came up in the research. And I was like, yes, I'm so happy about that. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. This yeah. all, all the and and again, it's accessible to anyone. Yeah. We didn't we didn't pay for gym membership just now. Right, right. We we didn't have to have fancy clothes on yeah. for and the gym membership. Feel, I, feel I feel great. I'm ready I genuinely, for round two podcast. I, I gen, yeah, literally, we <laughs> I'm fired up. That's the, I feel like I and I'm not and I'm not saying this just for the cameras. Like I mean this. I actually feel how I felt when we first started. Yeah, right. It's it's got it's that you know. It's a, yeah. It's it's great, and so it 100 percent works. I it's love a recharge. It. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Every works. 50 awesome. minutes, and he's been with Travis. Been backstage with me for 10 years, or he's yeah. he's been setting up video in the other room, and he hears that. Like, yeah. I <laughs> I always do it, and it's like because when you watch the volume of online video I've done, yeah. whether it's YouTube or or our online courses where most of my video is, it's like so. I mean, it's yeah. we. Literally, I don't even know how many hundreds of hours are there. And he's never seen me in the middle of it. Like, you know, because of these practices. Um, And it wasn't natural to me because I listen, Netflix and chill. Let's go, brother. (laughs) I I can chill like the best of them. I got no problem. But I want to make an impact. I want to help people. You know what the worst thing is when you're trying to help someone and your mind is kind of blinking out? Yeah. Cause you didn't take care of yourself. You didn't eat good. Yeah. You didn't care about your sleep. You know, I work with athletes, oh, high performers, business people who, who they regret those moments in those days where they allowed themselves to burn out mm-hmm. or they didn't care for themselves because it shows up on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. It shows up in your bank account. Mm-hmm. And, but mostly it shows up in how you treat people. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, if you won't take care of yourself for yourself, Take care of yourself so you're less rude to other people. Yeah. Because guess what? When you're tired, science shows you're more irritable. You're more short and you're faster to conflict. Tolerance is low. Right? Mm -hmm. 100%. And so it's like, if you want to take care of yourself for yourself, do it for the poor people around you who probably get some of that irritability. (laughs) You know? I love it. Brendan, you're amazing. This was so much fun. Honestly, this is, this has been so much fun. Yeah, this is great. And I'm glad you had us do that activity. I wanted to. Yeah, me too. too. I I want people. I feel better. Yeah, I feel better. But also I just, I want everyone listening and watching to know that, you know, you can pick up such simple, beautiful tips and insights just by watching. Now you can play that part of the video over again and again and again. We'll turn it into a little Instagram video. That'll be fun. (laughs) Uh, But it's just such an easy thing that anyone can pick up. And literally refocus, get back in the zone. And, and like you said, it's like when you want to serve, you want to be at your best. You don't want to be at your worst and you're trying to push yourself. And I genuinely hear this from so many people who I know are genuinely trying to give their best and serve. Yeah. But they feel drained at the end of the day. Yes. Because they're just giving and outpouring and serving and loving and caring and supporting and they're just going for it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and I've been in that place before where you just feel drained. Yes. And I started to realize I didn't want to feel that way anymore because that wasn't the badge of honor of service. No. That wasn't the badge of honor that I've really given today. And if you believe in associations, if, I do, yeah. if, 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 if you drain yourself every day in service, which a lot of people do, at the end of the day, you're burned out and you're tired. At some point, your body and your brain, your spirit and your soul, you don't mean to starts associating your purpose mm. with that feeling. Wow. Whoa. And one day you go, maybe your psychology goes, maybe the purpose is wrong. And it forgets, no, it's, it's the behavior that's leading to a feeling that doesn't feel good, mm. but your brain doesn't know sometimes and it puts them together. Mm. And now you question your purpose yeah. when really you're tired. Yeah, and so like let's do burden. that. Yes, and now you do the math, okay? 
because we've all done that. Everyone listening has done that brunt force because the human body is unbelievable. We, we can go years of burnout. It's unbelievable. Other animals would not put up with this nonsense, but we convince ourselves that it's okay. No other animal does that. We just, it's, I mean, I mean, well, salmon, they do salmon, do it. <laughs> they swim till they die. Okay. I'm sorry. Some animals do, but, but humans were super unique that we psych ourselves into this, but here's the issue. A, you will probably burn out your service because you won't feel good about it. But think about high performers. They go so much longer providing great service. But here's the trick. If you do the math on what I talked about, break every hour, take an eight hour workday. High performers, they're not smarter than you. They're not better than you. They aren't more lucky than you. It's not their age, their nationality. But one of the things they did during an eight hour workday, they took eight more breaks than you did. They took eight more breaks than you did today. That's why tomorrow they show up more clear. That's why next week when you're in the meeting and it's time to brainstorm and you're fried, you come up with nothing. It's that gal up on the whiteboard who wrote down 20 ideas because she's still fresh. That's not because her disposition, she's probably a high performer who took more breaks than you. We think breaking and pausing and refreshing is failure. Sharpening, yeah. It's the own, oh, I love that sharpening. I've never used that. I love that sharpening. It is sharpening. It is the NASCAR at the pit stop to make it go faster, to make it win the race. And so it's, 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 it's so funny when you say high performance, everyone goes, well, they must, they just outwork, out hustle, outwork. Actually, I'm like, oh no, they actually seek harmony more than everybody else. They, act, they look for that. They're trying to optimize their time, their harmony, to manage their energy so they can perform longer. I want to do this until I'm dead. Yeah, me too. I'm one of those guys, like I found my purpose. Me too. I want to help people live, love and matter. To get there, they got to achieve their goals faster. They got to use their voice. They got to help other people. They got to live an authentic, vibrant life. And they, uh, that's what I want to help people do. I'm, I'll do that till I'm done. I'll do that till I'm done. So I got to manage myself. Yeah. You know, I do those four-day seminars by myself on stage for 10 hours. I was like, how? They just think, well, Brendan's an energizer bunny. If you saw me backstage, I'm doing that Qigong. Yeah. I'm protein shaking it. You know, I'm stretching out every night. I'm doing the ice baths. Yes. I'm changing my behavior from heavy lifting to more cardio to get the lung capacity two weeks in advance. I'm diligent about exactly what I eat at the four-day events. I sleep at the same schedule. Like everything is literally set up for me to perform 10 hours a day on stage for four days by myself. That's not luck. That is because I care. I love it. Brendan, we end every interview with a final five quick, five rapid fire round. So this is five questions, one word answers, maximum one, one sentence, right, right. maximum one sentence. Okay, okay, so that's good. the first question is, what was the last kind thing you did for a stranger? Uh, one word. Oh gosh. Or one sentence. No, I had, we had, it just came into my mind because a dear friend had somebody, a big loss in their life. Um, and I just sent them a voice text and said, if you need me on a plane, if you need an hour or two to have a conversation, um, you're the type of person who's always the giver and always striving and caretakers very rarely asked for care. 100%. So I'm here. <clears throat> Love it. Okay. Question number two. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. That, the answer was <laughs> sent a voice text, but I sent it one seven days in a row. Okay. Same well, one. Different no, different one. one. Different New one. voice text for seven days in a row. A lot of people say, I'm here for you. I was like, 
I hound them. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Question number two. What's a lesson you find hard to teach others? Patience. Ah, nice. Okay. Question number three. What's the one question you ask yourself the most? You've told us a bit about this. But... Outside of did I live? Did I love? Yeah, did it matter? That, yeah. I ask what level of presence and energy am I holding and creating right now? It's a, we call it line trigger yeah. in high performance. Like anytime I wait in line, like Starbucks or meeting line, I always, what level of presence and energy am I right now? It makes me cue in. Mm, I love that. Okay. Question number four, the one belief that took you the longest to really put into practice, the one belief that took you the longest to put into practice. Trust in others. Mm, wow. Powerful. We'll have to unpack that next time. Yeah. <laughs> question final five. Your fifth one is, and I, and I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because you can, you can change it up is how do you know if you've lived a good life? The answer is to, did I live, did I love, did I matter? I know, I love that. Um, but most importantly, did I earn this? Mm. You know, did I, did I earn that second chance? That's the one. Love it. Yeah. Brendan Bouchard, everyone. You're the man. You're amazing, right. Brendan. This is amazing. It's been an honor. You're awesome. Thank you, brother. You are so incredible. I can't wait to have you back on. I can't wait. Yeah, you got to come back and do a part two and a part three. And, and yeah, yeah, we need, if the audience yeah, asks, I'm yeah, here. We need to do this again. I would for love sure, to, man. This is so fun. We have so much to unpack. We have so much in oh, common. And, so much more. So and I much. Love more. your purpose and your mission. Thank you. And how you are learning and adjusting and giving and serving. And I, w I wish anyone listening. I wish you knew how hard this guy works for you. Thank you, man. It's yeah. It's just the beginning. It's you know. That's how I feel every day. It's just the beginning. I start from scratch again. I still feel the same every too. single day. Like we're just getting warmed up. Yeah, absolutely, man.